All right, he is uh, back for another week, and uh, great to catch up with you again, uh, Dennis, for another Health Natural. You've been okay over the last uh, few weeks? I've been very well. Excellent. I don't know what that means, but you haven't been around. No, I've, well, we've <laughs> been in other spots, but uh, we're back today. Now, over the last couple of weeks, you've been talking tomatoes and uh, some of the uh, potential benefits there, in, also in and around uh, prostate cancer. But you did sort of tease a little bit on uh, a particular Indian mm. uh, method that you want to talk about today. I want to talk about a very, very famous Indian herb that has been long known in what's called the Ayurvedic tradition of medicine. And uh, uh, it's very, very uh, well documented now as having potential, say potential, as an agent to help individuals fight against cancer in conjunction, of course, with their medical managers. This is an exciting, uh, not a breakthrough, but an exciting body of knowledge that we'll look at when we talk about the herb in the context of its Ayurvedic or Indian tradition. Jenny at Fern Bay, uh, you've had a bad cough for a while. What's the story? Um, well, um, I didn't have a cold or anything, and it started as a mild thing, and now it's turned into a really, 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 really bad cough. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Um, I'll ask you a few questions, Jenny, and then yeah. I'll make a comment. Yeah. Um, um, is this in any way at all associated with uh, your COVID experience? Well, I don't think so because I had COVID at Easter. Okay. Do you think the um, the vaccinations are doing something like that? Obviously, I have to be cautious in what I say, Jenny, and I'll not yeah. elaborate too much. But oh my in in my practice, I am seeing a, a considerably significant number of people who, amongst other things, have a severe cough that they they relate to their experience of a vaccination. Now, I'm not passing judgment on whether that was good or bad, but I I am entitled, surely, to pass on an observation that there are quite a few people that I see that suffer a cough and relate it back. Yeah. to the vaccination episode. Now, of course, that yeah. would be dismissed uh, yeah. by, by orthodoxy. I take it, I take it serious, yeah. and, I, and I don't think one should discard it. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it may be uh, a, a mild symptom of what we call long COVID. I'm not sure. But I've you're, been tested a couple of times. Yes. What, I've come back negative. Yep, yeah, uh, that, that's fine. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. fine. And this is why I'm saying I'm not passing judgment all that I am noting is yeah. that there seems to be a group of people out there that with very severe coughs who are tracing it back to yeah. their experience of the yeah. vaccination. Yeah. Uh, that's all I will say. Yeah. With, the re- with your situation, however, the first thing I would say is, and rightly so, you'd expect me to say this, have you had it investigated medically? Yes, oh, yes. My doctor can't help me. Okay. All right. uh, the Mater Hospital can't help okay. me. Fine. Okay. Um, but my, the biggest worst thing is that I can't sleep. Okay. You've done the right thing because um, listeners would appreciate that a cough can be associated with many things. Mm-hmm. And, and, and any long-term cough shouldn't be just shrugged off. It should be investigated by our good yeah. doctors to make yeah. sure that there is no pathology that's evident yeah. that's yeah. causing the condition. So yeah. I say that again. For people out there that have a cough that's been around for some time, 
regardless of what you think or may not think associated with what caused it or may not have caused it, get it investigated. However, what I would recommend is that you do a couple of simple little things. The first thing to realise is that in a lot of the literature now, uh, a significant dosage of honey is coming up as being as useful in sedating irritable cough conditions as some of the mainstream medications. And and, uh, more importantly, perhaps, what's called manuka honey, and particularly the high-quality manuka honey. There are various grades of manuka honey. By the way, manuka uh, can be equatable with what we refer to here in Australia as jelly bush. Um, That has been shown to be perhaps the the, the top of the range potential for harnessing harnessing the soothing and quietening effect of honey when it's taken in significant quantity. Been down that track, yeah, not but, this time, no. but other times as manuka honey, you know. Yeah, yeah well, so take it, man. take it uh, in a significant dosage, uh, at least, at least a dessert spoonful in in warm water, a couple of times yeah. a day, and particularly before going to bed. I think yeah. that's a simple, easy, and fairly well documented way of soothing the irritable cough, and that's what it would be. The investigation has ruled out any serious pathology, so I see the cough coming under that heading of, say, an irritable condition where the tissue perhaps is irritated and the body has got into the habit of wanting to cough. I would go down that pathway to start with. All right, best of luck uh, with all of that, Jenny. Thank you so much for your call. G'day, Mick at Thornton. There's a hearing loss issue uh, for you, Mick. Yeah, it happened overnight, just bang. I was, there, I was out exercising one night and I thought I felt something going near Dennis, but I wasn't sure it wasn't enough to worry me. Okay. And when I got home, when I got into the um, quiet house, I could hear a bit of like uh, ringing, like it's not tinnitus, as they call it. Yes. It only lasted for about 20 seconds. Yes. And then I went to bed, I got in the morning, I couldn't, I thought after a little while, I thought, I can't hear any left ear. Okay. Have you I had it looked at, Mick? Yeah, I've done it. I've been to the doctor, I've had scans, I've had a lot. Okay. There no was one can the, tell me. There was no perforation of the eardrum? Apparently not, no. And no no damage to any cochlear functioning or anything such as that? Well, I think that's the problem there. The cochlear is something's happening there. Yeah. Look, it's a difficult one, and, and I'm, I'm not a specialist in this area. I'm just a simple old herbalist. But what I, what I would suggest, what I would suggest is, is something that's worthwhile uh, trying. Um, yep. Warm olive oil ear drops, as an uh, as perhaps an underrated way of soothing and healing any affected or damaged tissue, uh, minuscule as it might be. That is usually a very safe technique. Make sure yep. it's just warm olive oil. Two to three drops of it put into the ear would be worthwhile trying, in my opinion. Now, okay. having having said that, there are a bracket of herbs that are particularly used for addressing uh, more serious auditory dysfunction and, and particularly when it's associated with, with tinnitus. If the uh, recommendation that I've made does, doesn't go very far and I'd persevere with it for a little while, the, the, the herb golden seal, mm-hmm. herb golden seal is a famous uh, North American remedy that medical herbalists trained in the Western tradition know a lot about it has a significant relationship to multiple 
ear problems raising fr- r- coming from or associated with uh, uh, tinnitus, mm. uh, 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 congestive conditions in the ear, um, and other damaging, mildly damaged state of the mucosa of the whole of the upper respiratory tract, particularly associated with the sinuses. These easily obtained uh, can be procured as a capsule, but I'd start off addressing it from a simple perspective. Some of these things, and your doctor probably told you this, some of these things can resolve themselves just as quickly as they came on. It's been six months now. Well, that's a bit long, isn't it? Absolutely. Okay. Well, I'd go down the pathway of using the olive oil eardrops, and it is possible to get on the net. I'm not sure whether it's available here in Australia. I used to make it for my own patients. There is what's called an infused oil of Mm -hmm. the herb mulleen, M-U-L-L-E-I-N, mulleen. The the flowers of mulleen, which my dear wife and myself uh, regularly collected in our trips to the New England area where the granite country sees a lot of mulleen growing, the flowers of that have long been used in traditional herbal medicine to make what's called an infused oil. That is where the flowers themselves are soaked in, in a warm environment, usually in olive oil for an extended period of time, filtered and purified, and like olive oil, just gently dropped a few drops of the uh, the infused oil into the eardrum. That is a particularly useful old-fashioned remedy of having a go at multiple ear problems that are unresponsive to anything else. Mm. It, it can be got, I'm sure, from the US. I've seen it on the website, yep. uh, on its website, a number of American herb websites. But before you do anything, just go down the simple pathway of using a few drops of warm olive oil, see what that does. Mate, we'll get to your topic soon, I promise. Oh, thank you. I promise. Thank I'm going to do my best for thank you. you. Uh, but first, uh, we received an electronic mail from Jody mm-hmm. uh, a little while ago. Thanks for your feedback, Jody. Um, experiencing a lot of cough, fatigue, brain fog, and breathlessness. So she's putting it down to long COVID. Uh, but the last 17 months, she's had this rolling mm. symptomatic uh, picture. Mm. Uh, any thoughts for Jody at face value here? Yes, look, this is, again, something that. Uh, we've been seeing in my rooms very, very frequently now this set of symptoms as late as yesterday. Uh, a gentleman came to see me in exactly this uh, this category of experiencing the cough, the fatigue, brain fog, degree of breathlessness. And in his situation as a very responsible businessman, this is very, very compromising to him. Um, it has been going on for some time and um, there's been nothing that's been able to address it. My approach to what you might call long COVID uh, is to see it, is to see it associated with what's called a post-viral set of symptoms, um, which leaves in its wake, particularly fatigue, sometimes um, you know, viral conditions uh, leave themselves characterised by fatigue and chronic fatigue over a long period of time. Epstein-Barr virus was very, very uh, significantly associated with that. So very quickly, what I'm recommending um, to patients is, first of all, uh, see it as something that requires um, immune system support. And I know that's a broad term, but it's a term that works in explaining the need, if you like, to stimulate all the defensive mechanisms of the body to list 
lift the vitality of the body, and I don't in any way at all retreat from that term. Improving the vitality means improving the overall get-up-and-go uh, characteristics of a patient uh, and, retri and retrieving the person from this set of symptoms. At the top of my recommendation to Jody and others in this uh, long COVID um, situation uh, would be start your treatment with the formula that I had a lot to do in bringing into this country many years ago, known as the Astragalus 8 formula. That has been remarkably effective. Now, you can argue, well, you know, there's no science behind it, blah, blah, blah. What you need to realise is that science doesn't necessarily explain the benefits associated with some healing procedures. I, I look at the benefits associated with this remedy coming from its Asian tradition where it was popularly utilised for, if you like, a long time. And I go on that and prescribe it. And in many cases, I see a useful retreat of the symptoms of the fatigue, the brain fog and the breathlessness. At the same time, I would say uh, to Jody, um, to what I said um, to others this morning, and that is with the cough, which is a byproduct of perhaps long COVID, please don't overlook the simplicity of using a good quality, uh, preferably a manuka or a jellybush honey, uh, using it as a, as a warm water preparation, say a dessert spoonful of the honey to, uh, to say a tumbler of warm water and sipping that or taking it regularly as a means of soothing the inflamed tissue, which is, could be a byproduct of what's called long COVID. Astragalus 8 and taking the preparation based on honey as a means of soothing the cough. I hope uh, Dennis has given you a couple of great suggestions there, Jody. And uh, I'm sure, Dennis, in the past we've done, done a, a whole show on just the concept of vitality, I know. Look, it's sure a term have... that needs to be promoted again because yeah. I, I see... A, you'd be surprised how many younger GPs that I see who come to talk about complementary medicine and who want to take it up in their own practices. And they relate to this term that pure science would laugh at, that is the reality of what's called vitality. And uh, traditional medicine has always seen health based upon the activity of what's called a, 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 an active vital force. And at the end of the day, I have no problem in accepting what the old writers uh, saw health as being characterised by, and that is a level of vitality of get up and go that uh, can't be explained apart from anything else that the person has a vital force, which is vital. Yeah, I, I love the term vitality, and particularly its colloquialism as well there, get up and go. Yeah. Dennis, I've got to say, by the time we get to Friday <laughs> afternoon, my get up and go got up and went. It's, it's well, you're not doing too bad. You, you understand yourself. I, I'm very I just, impressed with I you. I know, I just wanted to get the joke in. Oh, That's did, all okay. it was. <laughs> joke taken. Dennis Stewart is here and he's been answering the questions, knocking them back one by one. If you have a question for Dennis, uh, 49216216, because Dennis, you love chatting with the punters and the, the folks you try and help as best you can. I do. Mm. That's it. That's all you got. I do. Okay, great. Um, in the meanwhile, uh, we are about to set off for the subcontinent and uh, we're going back in time yeah. in uh, the land yeah. of India. Yes, look, uh, before I talk about this herb that I've promised to talk about, we should put in the context that it belongs to what's called uh, Ayurvedic tradition. Now, for listeners who are unfamiliar with that term, 
Ayurveda is a system of healing, of medicine, that is characteristic of India and the precious and long history of that amazing continent that I studied at university and had the privilege of doing well at at university. Not to mention the great food too. The culinary delights are amazing. Which, uh, which lingers with me. But Ayurveda uh, is a system that is steeped in history. The system of healing known as Ayurveda uh, came out of the great literature that was written thousands of years before the Greco-Roman culture of the West and is related to the books known as the Vedas that were written by the sages of uh, ancient India. And Ayurveda works on the premise that the human body is, if you like, uh, an organism that responds to various treatment possibilities. And one of them is the use of natural medicine to address disease where it is interpreted as something other than just pathology. Now, what that means is, in a sense, Ayurveda is the traditional system of, med of uh, India going back thousands of years, but in India today, taught in government-sponsored colleges and graduates, practitioners, medical practitioners in Ayurveda, a system heavily, heavily dependent on herbal medicine. The majority of the remedies that are used to treat a disease under Ayurvedic terms are herbal medicine remedies. Very important. And this puts paid to the theory that only, uh, you know, only medical truth resides in the West. The West is a very arrogant culture. And the way in which we as Westerners view the world, admittedly, is one way of viewing the world and the way we practice medicine is one way of practicing medicine, and that's good. But we should not despise the knowledge and the traditions coming from other systems of medicine that interpret health and disease along different lines and use remedies other than uh, pharmaceuticals. Ayurveda is one of them, and it has a materia medica that I've had the privilege of studying. I actually conducted and conducted for many years a one-semester program in what was called Ayurvedic herbology, using a text uh, called the Yoga of Herbs, written by uh, Dr. Vasant Ludd and his American colleague, Dr. David Frawley. I enjoyed teaching that uh, seminar or that semester's work and have been requested, interestingly, by a number of GPs to run that program again to introduce people to the Indian selection of herbs, which allows us to address disease in some unique ways. And that leads to the contribution of Ayurveda in looking at prostate problems. And the herb that I want to mention here is a herb that's well known. It comes under two particular names. It comes under the name of Ashwagandha, and it also comes under the name of Withanius Omniferum. Uh, and you might say, well, look, you know, what's the difference? Okay. Listeners should appreciate that every herb has two names. Every herb has its traditional name. And in this case, the traditional name of the herb we're talking about is ashwagandha. And ashwagandha is a Sanskrit term coming from ancient Indian language. And I've said it before and I'll say it again and I'm not wanting to be vulgar, 
Ashwagandha means... I love this. Go. Ashwagandha means the smell or the vitality of a horse. And that is related to the observation... Aren't they two different things? (laughs) Well, we won't go... Vitality versus smell. I mean, it was... (laughs) It might have been a a sweaty horse, but put it that way. But put it this way. Two different things. Ayurveda is unique in its earthiness and the way in which it describes herbs according to characteristic features of the herb and its relationship to human beings and human conditions. So ashwagandha, in that context, was also known as Withanius omniferum. Withanius omniferum is the botanical or the scientific name for the herb that's traditionally known as ashwagandha. Now, ashwagandha is on our shelves has occurred there over the last couple of years. It's become pretty big, if you like, in in, in the Western world. And um, there's some good things and bad things about that. It's a significantly useful medicinal herb. And I think we can perhaps overlook its benefits medicinally if we just promote it as another consumer item and make all inflated claims about it. I'm not suggesting that is being done but it has the potential to do that. Our industry is no different to any other industry. It is unfortunately these days increasingly characterised by the new herb or the new vitamin. I look at a herb in the context of its medicinal value and its long-term benefits and usage and its documentation, which allows me to talk pretty sensibly about it. And in this case, Withanius omniferum has undergone some significant investigation in recent times where the emergence of a profound recommendation was made. Now, before I say what that recommendation was, let me just say there is a journal called Prostate International. It's well known. In the year 2017, um, an article occurred in that journal, Prostate International, which is available on the net, by the way, the article, an article which summarised or put together the findings of a group of scientists from the University of Madurai in India on the work they did on withsanium somnifera and its ability to help. Let me emphasise help, not necessarily cure, but help in the management or the treatment of prostate cancer. Now, this is pretty important in as much that What this is suggesting is that there is a potential to work with the mainstream treatment of prostate cancer. And I'm all for that mainstream treatment uh, as, as necessary if the condition reaches the point where it's no longer watching and waiting, it's getting in and doing something. What these scientists decided was there's a recommendation which I'll make momentarily. All right, well, uh, maybe our next caller might be get, fit into that nicely as well. G'day, Rob at East Maitland. There, um, enlarged prostate is your uh, query today. What's happening, Rob? Yeah, mine's um, apparently three times the size it's supposed to be. Uh-huh. No cancer or anything like that, so good, which is good. Good, good, good. But I'm um, just wondering if Dennis has got any ideas okay. what to uh, actually try and treat it with to reduce the size. Look, it's some interesting uh, reading on, on prostate. Um, suggests that the size or the enlargement of the gland, it doesn't necessarily correlate with dysfunction as far as 
affecting urination and promoting nocturnal frequency. It has been demonstrated that even a small or a moderately enlarged prostate gland can be more problematical than an enlarged gland. So put that in perspective. Um, I, I don't want to be too personal, but are you symptomatic? Are you experiencing embarrassment with the enlargement of the gland in, the, in that there's what we call nocturnal frequency? You're up regularly during the night to have a pee, and there are other symptoms such as having to work hard to get the flow started. Um, are you symptomatic or is it just an awareness that the gland is enlarged as a result of investigation? No, I do have symptoms. Um, sometimes it's um, the stream's not as strong as it should be. Okay. Um, other times, yeah, you do get up a bit. Sometimes at night, sometimes during the day, if okay. I'm, especially if I've been sitting for a while and then okay. I stand up, I've got to, yeah. got to go. Yeah, yep. Uh, and uh, you're being monitored, of course, by your good doctor? Yes. Okay, that's great. Look, I will, I will be uh, honest and straight with you and say that being a very elderly man, and I've been very elderly, um, it is no surprise that I have a prostate that is enlarged and probably has been enlarged for some considerable period of time. Uh, I think your doctor will, will tell you that the majority of men, particularly as they move through life, will have some problem with the prostate, normally enlargement, and enlargement shouldn't be uh, in, in any way at all equated with prostate cancer. They're two different situations. Yep. Now, now, I have for many years and continue, my wife will vouch for this, every day to take a preparation based on, on, on two herbs, a standardised extract of the American herb saw palmito in conjunction with a standardised extract of what's called nettle root. Now, what that means is that comes as an encapsulated preparation. I take two capsules of the preparation. I'm not going to mention any particular one because there would be uh, readily available uh, preparations based on the extract of saw palmito and the extract of nettle root, and I emphasise nettle root, not the, the leaf of the nettle, which is used for other purposes. I take that regularly. Your pharmacist is probably the best to see to give you a preparation that he would have, probably similar to the one that I take without mentioning brands. Um, I find that that, that helps me. It is much that um, unless I ha have too much to drink before I go to bed, um, I usually have a good night's sleep. It's not uncommon uh, with, with most males as they get a bit older to get up and have a pee, say, once or maybe twice. It's when it becomes more embarrassing that you're up nearly every hour. That's when that indicates that you've got a problem. When I use the preparation that I've been talking about, based on those two herbs, I am more comfortable and I have very little distress in urination. Now, I'm not saying that um, that will continue. All I'm saying is that I've been using that approach for quite a number of years, and I'm well into my 80s now, and I can't see any great reduction or uh, in function. I hope it won't occur. I'm happy to continue taking that. I would suggest that's not a bad idea. Discuss it with your GP. I'm sure he'd probably be on side to give it a go. If it's going to do anything, uh, give it a month or so, because most herbs tend to grow on you. They're not immediate in their manifestation. I would yeah. suggest give it a month or so to see uh, what the symptom picture is. 
by then you should get some idea as to the level it would go in helping you. Good afternoon, Michael. you got a turmeric question. I have literally 90 seconds, Michael, so talk quick. Okay, just a quick one. I have an inflamed knee, left knee, and it was suggested that I take turmeric. Would that assist? It should be safe, but make sure you take the right preparation. You need a preparation that has the concentrate or the active principle from it known as curcumin. That is the, that is the anti-inflammatory agent. Um, taking uh, turmeric itself, you'd have to take a lot to get a significant benefit. Taking the main principle from it, curcumin, in a correct dose should give you some relief. Okay. Thank you for that. Oh, thank, I thank just, you. And uh, Dennis, is just going to add something super quick? Just very, very quickly. The statement that was made with reference to withania somniferum by the Indian scientists that wrote the paper and they did the clinical work on it was this. They stated, and I'll conclude on this, in conclusion, our results suggests that the regular intake of withania somniferum, a good dietary agent, may prolong life expectancy in prostatic carcinoma patients along with the prescribed drug of choice. There's the recommendation from the paper and all I can say is that if I was under treatment for prostate cancer, I would take on board their recommendation that using this so-called good dietary supplement with Sanius Omniferum would be good. Amazing what we fit into 90 seconds. Literally, it's only 90 <laughs> seconds, Dennis. Uh, we've wrapped up. Thanks to Michael for having a super quick question as yes. well. And uh, we'll catch you next week, Dennis, for another Health Naturally. Thank you very much, Dave.